I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, Widening Rift. Biden's national security chief meets with Israeli leaders as differences mount over civilian casualties in Gaza. A change in focus. Congress grants billions of dollars to the Department of Defense, leaving pro-lifers in the dust. Republican lawmakers speak out. Holiday cheer on Wall Street. Retail sales are up, gas prices are down, but how long will it last? We ask an expert. And faith in dark times. How Jewish communities strive to make Jerusalem a haven for all as Hanukkah comes to an end. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. John of the Cross. Our top story tonight, an alarming development related to the Israel-Hamas war. Officials in Germany and Denmark announced today that they arrested multiple alleged Hamas members suspected of plotting terrorist attacks on European soil. An eastern Gaza City heavy fighting has raged on for days now. Tens of thousands of people remain in the north despite being told to evacuate. Most say they do not feel there is anywhere safe to go. President Joe Biden briefly addressed the war in the Middle East today. His comments come as U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan meets with Israeli leaders to discuss the next phase of Israel's military campaign. The White House warns Hamas has pledged to annihilate Israel and kill as many Jews as possible. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, good evening to you. Tonight, the White House says Jake Sullivan also discussed efforts Israel is now undertaking to be more surgical and precise in their targeting, as well as efforts to increase the flow of aid. And Israel has vowed to keep fighting in Gaza until it crushes Hamas. President Joe Biden in Maryland today, after giving a speech on drug prices, is asked by a reporter if he wants Israel to scale back its assault on Gaza, tone it down, and move to a lower-intensity phase by year's end. I want them to be focused on how to save civilian lives, not stop going after Hamas, but be more careful. President Joe Biden's top national security advisor on a critical trip overseas. This image shows Jake Sullivan meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Tel Aviv. Just one of his engagements with those leading the war against Hamas in Gaza. It will take and require a long period of time. It will last more than several months. But we will win and we will destroy them. The Israeli defense minister told Sullivan that Hamas has been building itself up for a decade to fight Israel. The White House says it understands what's at stake. The United States will continue to support Israel in its fight against Hamas. And we will continue to do everything we can to help broker another pause so that the remaining hostages can be reunited with their families. And at the U.S. State Department, this update on the war in the Middle East. The October 7th uh, attacks should have been a wake-up call to everyone uh, that the status quo that has existed for a number of years is just not in the interest of Israel, that there needs to be uh, a solution moving forward that addresses the legitimate uh, aspirations of the Palestinian people while providing security to the Israeli people. But the Biden administration is getting pushback from some of its own staffers. They held a vigil calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. We have seen refugee camps, hospitals, schools, and entire neighborhoods bombed. Also tonight, the Palestinian prime minister is urging the U.S. to call on Israel 
to stop the war, saying you cannot avoid killing civilians if the war goes on. And the U.S. also said today Hamas started the war and it must order its fighters to lay down their arms. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Amid recent attacks on Catholic churches and a rise in anti-Semitism across the country, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops wrote to congressional leaders. They are asking Congress to provide at least $200 million in federal funds for grants that improve security for houses of worship and other nonprofit organizations. EWTN News Nightly Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales asked a leading Democrat if their proposal would find support in his party. One of the things that we need to do is provide additional security grants uh, to make sure that synagogues and churches uh, and mosques and other places and houses of worship can secure themselves in this climate of increasing hatred. And it's something that I believe House Democrats are prepared to support. Well, the USCCB estimates that since May of 2020, more than 300 attacks have taken place on Catholic churches in the U.S. Leader Jeffrey says that he hopes to see a bill be ready for votes by early next year. Uh, before leaving for our three-week Christmas break, U.S. lawmakers passed a massive $886 billion defense policy bill. It has everything from pay raises for troops to extending FISA until next April. But some conservative lawmakers don't like it because pro-life and pro-family policies were largely left out. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales has that story. Good evening. Pro-life and pro-family provisions in the National Defense Authorization Act that passed in the House back in July are a lot different from the version that was passed in the House today. The final version of the bill still allows military families to get reimbursed for abortion-related travel expenses and leave. Conservative think tanks say that Republicans tried to get more. So they fought to include things to prohibit drag shows from happening, to prohibit pornographic materials on books, and then even to go so far as to stop funding for transition surgeries, gender transition surgeries for military members and their families. Despite GOP efforts, those provisions remain, along with clear prohibition on funding for critical race theory and kind of an audit of how the military has been conducting critical race theory trainings and the like for not just the military members, but also uh, the civil service. Uh, Connor Semmelsberger with the Washington, D.C. think tank Heritage Foundation adds the Pentagon is prohibited from using preferred personal pronouns. The final bill also includes language banning the display of unapproved flags at military installations, such as the gay pride flag. GOP lawmakers say the NDAA had to pass. The National Defense Authorization Act has a lot of things in it that are for the defense of our country. We know that there are, are, are issues there between the policies. Joe Biden, you know, it's his administration. There's a lot of things that they can do and that we can't stop them from doing unless we have solid support in the House and the Senate. The NDA is, is acceptable to me, but we need a new president. So to my colleagues on the right, a lot of the problems that you and I see as real can't be solved when you got a Democrat in the White House and you require 60 votes in the Senate. But others tell me the NDAA misses the mark. Taxpayer money is provided to the DOD and intended to provide for our national defense and our national security. It is not 
not to promote and support the Biden administration's radical, immoral pro-abortion agenda. The NDAA now goes to the president's desk for a signature. As for those pro-life measures that are not in the bill, they could be added later at the beginning of next year in appropriation bills. I'll continue to follow the latest developments. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN, News Nightly. A judge in Wyoming will soon decide the future of abortion laws in the state. The judge has blocked several pro-life laws from taking effect over the past year and a half. One measure would ban abortion with limited exceptions. Another would explicitly ban abortion pills. Opponents of the laws argue the bans would harm women's health. On new retail data shows the holiday season is off to a strong start with sales in November up 0.3% over the prior month. And today, the Dow hit a new record close at 37,248. Meanwhile, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell announced that the Fed would keep key interest rates steady for the third time in a row and indicated that a few rate cuts could be on the docket for 2024. And joining us now is E.J. Antoni, public finance economist with the Heritage Foundation. E.J., great to have you back on. So, what do you make of these numbers? I mean, this data certainly seems very positive. Tracy, you're absolutely right. Things seem positive at first, but we have to remember that this consumer spending is being fueled almost entirely right now by increases in debt, which is the exact same thing that the federal government is doing. It does not have the money for these incredible spending bills, and so it is going into debt to pay for them. That's not a sustainable path. On the consumer level, what we're seeing is not only credit card balances continue to skyrocket, but also these buy now, uh, pay later schemes that consumers are increasingly being enticed by are getting consumers into debt. They're going to have to start paying off in the new year. So we're essentially just bringing forward consumer spending from the future to today. EJ, what about, you know, the record-setting numbers I mentioned about the Dow, over 3,000 mark, that is, excuse me. How significant is that? Do you think this is going to be a trend? I mean, are we going to see a rally here into the new year? It's very possible because Wall Street is essentially addicted to cheap credit from the Fed. It's a very unfortunate uh, place to be, but we have to recognize that's where we are. And so investors need to be mindful of that uh, as they try to allocate their own portfolios and do what's best for them and their families. Let's talk about, you know, interest rates now. Still very high, especially for mortgage rates. Uh, the Fed did indicate could start coming down. What's your outlook, EJ, uh, when it comes to these rates in 2024? And what will it mean for consumers? Well, the Fed, frankly, has no business even talking about cutting rates right now. But we have to deal with reality. And, and the fact is that you know, they are being subjected to a tremendous amount of political pressure. And it looks like they're going to yield to that political pressure. They are not willing to maintain high interest rates in an election year because it would hurt the sitting president. And so as a result, they are poised now to cut rates, which will cause a temporary increase in economic activity. There's no doubt about that. But in the long run, it's going to be a return uh, to the inflationary roller coaster that we've seen the last couple of years. And so once again, this is just a, simply a trade-off uh, of short-term gain and long-term pain. All right, EJ, before we wrap up here, any advice for consumers? Well, I, I would, as best you can, avoid the temptations that so many people are falling into to go into debt 
uh, to spend money right now and, and to buy, because all of that is eventually going to have to be paid back. All right, we're going to leave it right there. EJ, great to have you on. Merry Christmas to you. And to you. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including a case-by-case, case, a breakdown of the legal woes facing a president and former president and the potential impact of next year's election. And why some are calling a West African nation one of the worst violators of religious freedom in the world. events in Washington could play a pivotal role in shaping the 2024 general election and candidate strategies. First, on Capitol Hill, the House of Representatives voted to formalize an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Republicans allege the president financially benefited from his family's foreign business dealings, though they haven't publicly released evidence backing up those claims. At the same time, a federal judge has temporarily paused former President Donald Trump's election interference case as she awaits a D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals to decide whether or not President Trump is immune and can be tried. Jack Smith, the special counsel on the case, has asked the Supreme Court to step in and rule immediately. And here now with reaction to the news and how it may affect a Biden-Trump general election is Vince Colonnais, editorial director at The Daily Caller. Vince, always great to be with you. Uh, first off, let's start with the impeachment inquiry. What exactly do you think uh, the strategy is here for the Republicans? Well, I... I... One people, I mean, it seems like it's a huge headline, obviously. It's a big deal for the United States House of Representatives to move forward on any form of impeachment. But here's something to note. One, this is not actually the official impeachment proceeding, the one that we saw Democrats wield against Donald Trump twice during his presidency. This is merely an impeachment inquiry. In other words, they're still conducting an investigation uh, beyond what they already know about Joe Biden's family business arrangements. Uh, and two, this is merely formalizing a process that's already been playing out since September. In September, back when we had a different Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, he appointed uh, three different committees to begin looking into all of these things uh, because they had, you know, they had actually accrued substantial evidence that there's meaningful corruption going on in the Biden family. Uh, and they've been doing that now for months. So this really is honestly just a formalizing of the process. The reason these House Republicans say they're doing it is because they believe it'll give them extra power uh, in front of the courts that the courts will look more kindly upon their efforts if they have a full vote from the House. But a lot of headlines for something that's already been happening for months now. Yeah. And um, as we know, former President Trump has often said that um, it was a political witch hunt on his part. Do you think that the Biden campaign might use a similar tactic around this impeachment investigation? They, they definitely already are. I mean, the reaction to the vote yesterday from the White House is that Republicans are wasting time going after Biden's family instead of helping American families. This is the, the talking point the White House is hoping takes hold. Vince, we have about 30 seconds left or so. Uh, but what else are you following right now? Well, in terms of the campaign calendar, it is interesting to watch these court cases because it doesn't look like uh, uh, Jack Smith, the special counsel, is actually going to be able to get this trial started uh, at the beginning of March. He was trying to be do this right in the middle of the election. And with all these delays, it may get pushed beyond it. But I, I'll remind people, traditionally, the Justice Department says they want to avoid doing any big steps like this in the middle of an election. They don't want to interfere in the election. That's not what the Biden Justice Department is doing. They're very much 
uh, getting involved in the middle of the election with Justice Department action. And for now, uh, it looks like uh, Trump may prevail in slowing this down because of the challenges being put before the court. All right. We're going to leave right there. Vince, always great to be with you and to get your insights. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, there are growing calls for the State Department to recognize the violations of human rights taking place in Nigeria. The Biden administration removed the West African nation from the list of countries of particular concern back in 2021. Now, more than two dozen human rights advocates have written a letter asking for it to be put back on that list. Catholic clergy in particular have suffered in Nigeria. Aid to the church in need says 100 Catholic priests have been abducted without being freed since early 2022, with 20 having been killed. According to the letter signed by prominent Catholics, Nigeria is responsible for 90% of Christians killed around the world for their faith. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, a year-end news conference. Vladimir Putin weighs in on hostage negotiations with the U.S. and the future of abortion in Russia. Plus, how faithful Jews are striving to make Jerusalem a safe haven for Hanukkah. Russian President Vladimir Putin says there will not be peace in Ukraine until Moscow's goals are met. С нами портили отношения и нас пытались все время задвинуть куда-то на второй, третий план. Speaking in his annual year-end news conference, the longtime leader also said there are talks between the Kremlin and the U.S. over the release of two American hostages. And he addressed abortion, saying Russian authorities will act carefully in their newly regulated attempts to discourage abortion. Uh, the European Union has decided to open negotiations to offer membership to Moldova and to Ukraine. The move comes at the start of a two-day summit in Belgium. Talks will begin and then a report will be issued to the 27-nation group in the spring. Ukrainian officials say the decision is a victory for all of Europe. Pope Francis is calling for more safeguards regarding artificial intelligence. Within his annual message for the World Day of Peace, the Holy Father said in part, quote, it is my prayer at the start of the new year that the rapid development of forms of artificial intelligence will not increase cases of an inequality and injustice all to present in today's world, but will help put an end to wars and conflicts and alleviate many forms of suffering that afflict our human family. Well, the Vatican issued guidance earlier this week regarding cremation. It is now permissible in some cases for the faithful to keep a small portion of a loved one's ashes in a personal place of significance. The ashes may be kept only if the family rejects, quote, every type of pantheistic naturalistic or nihilistic misunderstanding. For analysis, we turn now to moral theologian Father Thomas Petrie, president of the Pontifical Faculty of the Immaculate Conception. Father Petrie, great to be with you as always. So for those who may not know, why was cremation considered a problem for the Catholic Church and what has now changed to allow it? 
So cremation was always considered a problem because it has uh, pagan tendencies. There were pagan rituals attached to cremation, especially with the practice of scattering ashes, the idea that when a person dies, they return to the ethereal cosmos or return to, you know, some sort of pantheistic uh, understanding of nature. But about 20, 30 years ago, the church said, as long as that can be avoided, uh, because cremation is inexpensive or less expensive often than burial of the body. And because of, in many places around the world, there's a shortage of cemetery space, the church said that cremation can be allowed and can be done, uh, provided, though, that the cremated remains of the person are preserved in a sacred space. So you still have to bury the remains in a, in a, in a plot or put them in a columbarium or in a some other sacred place where they can be respected and revered and where the faithful can visit their loved ones. And now that the guidance has changed, um, do you anticipate that maybe more Catholics will consider this as an option? Oh, absolutely. So the, the change that just came out this week is Cardinal Mario Zuppi of Bologna wrote to the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith uh, two important questions. One was considering the shortage of space, uh, especially in Europe, or the shortage of cemetery space, and even shortage of space to put uh, cremated remains, whether or not it was pos- it is possible to mingle multiple cremated remains together as long as they're kept in a sacred space. So, you know, have multiple remains kind of mingled together in an urn or in a columbarium. Uh, as long and the and the Vatican office said this is possible as long as of course it's kept in a sacred space and that the names of who is mingled in there is fine. Uh, the concern that we're being mingled, our remains are being mingled, and that's somehow going to deter the resurrection of the body at the end, of course, is a theological question. And uh, the Vatican Dicastery said, you know, the, the resurrection is part of God's power. And, you know, even when you have a body that's been buried for a thousand years and practically nothing is left, uh, God still can resurrect that body and, and make it glorious. The second question was whether or not the faithful in that situation could keep a portion of the remains of their loved ones separate to have them distinguished and to have it placed in some place that is um, of personal significance. And the Vatican office said, yes, uh, but it also has to be a sacred space. So the Vatican is still insisting that any cremated remains still have to be preserved in a sacred space. We can't have urns of, say, your mother or your grandmother being placed on, you know, your the mantle in your house, which a lot of people want to do, but that's just not the Christian practice. Yeah, and so what would you say to somebody who maybe wanted to have some of those remains with them in their home? What would they do with that? Well, I think the the pastoral advice would be to talk them through the importance and reverence for uh, the body, the deceased body, and that, you know, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, even when it disintegrates over hundreds and hundreds of years in the ground, or even when it is cremated. And so we have to be careful not to reduce the importance of the body, even cremated remains, and to somehow to commercialize them or make them trink- make it a trinket uh, of remembrance. And so to have them in a sacred space where prayer, where reverence, 
inference is possible and is understood to be standard rather than simply, you know, on a shelf in one's home or on one's mantle. Well, Father Petrie, thank you so much for clarifying things for us. Always wonderful to have you on and get your insights. God bless you. God bless you. Finally, tonight, a group of Jewish people in Jerusalem observed Hanukkah in a different way this year. On the first night of Hanukkah, the group called Keilat Zion gathered underneath a tent to envision Jerusalem as a meeting place for all. Dozens of Jewish people attended the gathering alongside leaders from other faiths. The leaders of the group said that in a year of such darkness, those gathered sent light into the world. Oh, we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.